You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Our guest this hour has a book, among two, one that is called Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, A Path to Agriculture's Higher Consciousness, and a second book, Surviving Ourselves, The Evolution of Community Education and Agriculture in the 21st Century. Its author, Eric Herm, who is a farmer, is going to join us this hour for a really candid review of where modern agriculture has taken us, what needs to change, and how to go about those changes now. As one observer put it, Eric like others we've interviewed on 21st Century Radio, has become the change he wants to see in agriculture. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, and I was so glad to see that Charlie Walters endorses your work. He has been a longtime, rest his soul, um, of ours over the years, along with Chris Bird. So you come from a really great tradition of farmer advocates for sustainable agriculture. Yeah, yeah, it's always nice to have uh, some of that uh, to put in your back pocket. Exactly. Now, your story is an interesting one because you grew up on a farm in Texas, and then eventually you left only to return. So explain to us why you left farming and then why you came back. Well, just being young, I didn't dig it. I didn't dig it much at all. I had a real segregated type of attitude against uh, being brought up here. It was just a lot of hard work. For a young guy, and um, didn't appreciate my relationship with nature, and was just really bored, and had to get out and do a lot of different things in the world, and sow some oats, and before I was able to, um, you know, solve some of my restlessness in my spirit, and when I did come back to the farm, I it was the proper time, and I did come back because I felt like the farm needed me. My family needed me. I felt like um, it was where I needed to be at that point in my life. And um, it's been a nice marriage ever since. That's lovely. And as a fourth generation farmer, of course, they'd say the farm is in your soul. But you also point out that, you know, years ago, if we looked at the Civil War, the majority of the country were farmers, and now less than 1% of the American population are farmers. Yeah. I mean, we're we're losing we're losing our our share of uh, our occupation every single year it's it's slowly dissipating and i talk about the need for more farmers uh, we need a lot of first generation farmers in this country we represent less than 1% there's more prisoners than there are farmers in this country and when you get down to the nitty gritty of organic agriculture production it's less than 1% of that 1% so uh, we're we're in a point now that we really got to start focusing on bringing back more people to the farm and making agriculture more attractive for young people. As you point out, and as we had an earlier author, John Robbins, who's written a book called No Happy Cows, and we didn't get to it, but we were going to talk about the burnt-out lands from cattle grazing, and you certainly are able to witness to the destruction of the topsoil and what's going on, particularly in places like Texas. So tell our audience what you say. Well, we're one-trick ponies. It doesn't seem to matter where you are throughout the country. We've just become extremely um, 
specialized. And when I mean specialized, we're, we're monocropping, whether it's cattle in a particular place and overgrazing. Where we live, it's cotton year after year after year. In some places, it's just corn and soybeans. You see no crop diversity anymore in this country. More than 50% of the cropland is in corn and soybeans. And I believe it's less than 3% in fruits and vegetables these days. We have been trained to to be these one-trick ponies slowly and methodically over time, over several decades, through the manip- manipulation of corporate agriculture, through some of the ineffective legislature, through government, uh, such as sub- subsidies, uh, some things that just specifically targets the influence of, of farmers being just one-trick ponies. And we've gotten away from a lot of what makes the land rich and in nutrients and vitamins and minerals by rotating crops, by having multiple species of animals and plants flourishing. It's just like an artist. You want a lot of colors on that palette, and unfortunately in agriculture we've got one, one or two colors on our palette in each region. And as and as you point out, and Acres USA over the decades has done so well in showing farmers a way out of their dependence, or as my dear friend Chris Bird used to say, the addiction that they've gotten since World War II on chemical pesticides, fertilizers, and now even more dangerous, Monsanto's Roundup. And you spend quite a bit of time in your book, Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, A Path to Agriculture's Higher Consciousness, talking about this very problem, and I'd like to spend some time on it. So share with us how you you first became aware of what you had been doing your whole life wasn't really the best option. Yeah, growing up in, in commercial agriculture farm, you know, chemicals was just a part of it, herbicides and pesticides. And when I first moved back in 2005, I thought that Roundup Ready Cotton was going to be our savior on this farm. And we started planting several fields, about a 1,000 acres in 2005 and 2006 before I actually just happened to start reading the label on the on the bag of, of the seed one day. And there's more warning labels on that bag of seed than there is uh, on a box of herbicides or pesticides. Like what kinds of things? Most of our audience, as you know now, are not farmers. So what are the things that you saw that alarmed you? Well, just all these multiple numbers you should call if you... If you um, get this in your mouth or your hands it was the seed itself was actually reading like it was a herbicide there was all these and and not to mention the fact that farmers are forced to sign a technology agreement when they plant this seed that basically forfeits their their rights to not only catch seed anymore from it but also says that uh, Monsanto or whichever company is no longer responsible for what are whatever problems occur from this. And when you couple that with the Food Safety Modernization Act, which was passed in 2011 in this country, all the blame, all the liability comes back to the farmer. And it allows them to be punished up to a million-dollar fine, each farmer, say if there's a salmonella outbreak and it comes back to a specific farm and farmer. Uh, Most farmers don't know this. When they sign that technology agreement every year, They have no concept of that issue. People aren't paying enough attention to the legislation that's being passed in this country this day. Um, And and the other thing, as you you point out, Eric, is is that when farmers 
are trained year after year by the extension services or by their own literature or just the culture of farming, that this is the best way to make a profit so that they can pay off their debts to their loans and they can stay in the business and keep their farms that are often long, many generation family farms. Many of them don't realize that what they're farming is a form of death. It's a death economy. And in the, and as you point out, we're beginning now to actually see how bad it is. So share with us the things you've seen as a result of this ongoing use and basically the distribution of Monsanto product as if it's the only choice in agriculture. Well, environmentally speaking, what I'm seeing is more soil degradation. Uh, there's more resistance from the weeds to glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. There's several thousand acres um, that are being resistant to this. It started in, in other parts of the country that have been doing this a lot longer than our area, but I'm starting to see it all around us now where guys aren't able to, care, to kill their, their weeds anymore with Roundup. Um, you, you know, see if, if careless you know- weeds... I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say, it makes me think, I just wanted to in, interject something. It, it's very similar in the animal factory farming of the use of the bovine growth hormone and their antibiotics, and the antibiotic overuse now has led to strains of diseases that are resistant to it in the same way the weeds now from the Monsanto product are resistant to the herbicide. They just keep growing. So, yeah, and we, we're trying to solve our, our problems with poison, yeah. and it's it's not like it, it, it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that that's not going to work in the long term. We're creating far more problems in the long term than we're able to solve in the short term. And you talk about somebody like Monsanto who spends billions of dollars or makes billions of dollars and spends millions of dollars each year in lobbying and, and contributing to political campaigns. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of rule in this country. And unfortunately, that comes in the form of advertising as well, and and farmers aren't really seeing that until it starts to hurt them in their own personal operations. And Um, and it's bigger, as you point out, than any one of our opinions, because these genetically modified seeds are quickly wiping out, as you point out, our natural seed supply. And this literally could be, you know, how famine of a broad scale no one can ever even imagine could happen. This is a, in my in my own personal evaluation, this is nothing short of a slow, methodic genocide on this country. Mm-hmm. What we're witnessing is not just a problem in agriculture. This is an ever-living creature issue because we're all in this, because we all eat. We're all eating from the same system, and... <laughs> There's not enough people paying attention to this problem, and it's well, growing. Well, as, as you point out, it's not just that we are eating this, that the cows are eating it, but then the birds are eating it and the other livestock, and, and then it spreads to the organic farms so that it's not as though the winds are just going to stop at the Monsanto-planted field. Now, there was a—we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, I'd love for you to tell the story of the Canadian farmer you write about who went up against Monsanto— because I, I think that it's an example of, of something we've stressed all of our lives, which is that each person does make a difference. We'll be right back. Our guest, Eric Herm, his book, Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth. We'll be right back on 21st Century Radio. You can learn more at his website, 
at sonofafarmer.com. All right, so Eric, coming back to the problem of Monsanto basically controlling the agra business of the world at this point and distributing its deadly GMO product and Roundup Ready Seed and whatever else it's into. Um, you you tell a great story about a Canadian farmer who fought Monsanto. Yeah, Percy Schmeiser, back in 1998, he was sued by Monsanto, organic a canola farmer up in Canada, who was minding his own business, and they came upon his farm and sued him because he had uh, caught his own seed, but it was contaminated with enough canola, Roundup Ready canola, that they deemed it violated their their patents. And uh, this was an ongoing deal that lasted for several years that ended up going to the Canadian Supreme Court. He ended up winning initially, or ultimately, but uh, he had to basically forfeit his entire canola crop, which it was a result of decades of work that he meant uh, spending to try to develop his own strand of seed. He had to terminate all of his canola in the process, so it was not really a a win-win situation for him, but he did win legally. Uh, It was very much a a battle of David versus Goliath. I met Percy last year, and he told me that 2011 was the first year since 1998 that he had not faced some sort of lawsuit versus Monsanto. And and he's not alone. So when groups try or individual farmers have their farm contaminated because the wind blows and then their field is contaminated by the Monsanto product, Monsanto, as you point out, can claim that the other farmer, the organic farmer, is now in possession of a Monsanto product and didn't buy it. So therefore, all of their product is null and void when, in fact, it's the result of Monsanto having distributed the product without telling anybody what it does to the livestock. So it's not just, I mean, we know from experiments already, or studies, I should better say, that it's injuring the animal itself, as well as the humans who down-feed chain the food line also are consuming these GMO products without it being labeled. Yeah, dating back to the late 1990s, Arpad Pustad, who was the foremost leading genetic researcher in the world uh, in Scotland, it did all these studies on mice and rats that it led to higher cancer rates, shrinkage of organs, everything from the brains to the testicles. It was uh, creating lesions in their stomach and intestinal walls, liver atrophy, spleen damage. The list goes on and on and on, not to mention high infertility rates, which you're seeing in livestock these days. And which we see in the human population. Some rank it as high as 50% of young men and women can no longer conceive naturally. It is it is directly linked to that, and I think you're only going to see more problems with fertility rates in this country and uh, because you're talking about kids, especially who are 15 years and younger, that this has really taken over our food system in the last decade. And, and the and only... Can, Go ahead. And... From our own personal standpoint here, we see it. Uh, we've had over 300 acres damaged and Roundup herbicide drift alone from our neighbors this year. From my house to 20 miles east, we are the only farm left in this region that no longer farms with Roundup-ready cotton. We are surrounded by this stuff, and it's, it's a constant battle for us to defend ourselves against our neighbors because the winds blow so much, and when they're spraying the, the Roundup herbicide, 
it hits our crops and damages it. And uh, I've got cases filed with the Texas Department of Agriculture. Uh, we're experiencing more of those problems every single year. And and the problem, as anybody who studies Monsanto and our government knows, is that they hold hands like two twins that can't be separated. And you point out, as have others, that, for instance, Donald Rumsfeld, who's president of a sister company <laughs> to uh, Monsanto, or Clarence Thomas, who used to work for Monsanto, or Linda Fisher, who's the head of the EPA. I mean, there's an enormous list. Maybe you'd like to share with our audience a little bit of what you found out. And and before you do that, Eric, were you shocked when you actually started to look into this yourself as a farmer? I, I was <laughs> Every time I seemed to turn over a stone, I just it, it did not cease to amaze me how deep this problem goes and how twisted it gets. Uh, there's a huge revolving door between our government and Monsanto governing agencies. Michael Taylor, who was appointed by President Obama, who's the food czar in this country, the FDA, the main voice out of the FDA that's telling us that GM, GMOs, genetically modified foods, are completely safe has a 20-year history with Monsanto as a vice president of public policy, as a defense attorney. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on like this. And so when you as a farmer look at this and then you as an individual human being out there in Lubbock, Texas, are trying to do the right thing, but your own crop gets contaminated. When you're going up a multi-billion dollar lie, you cannot have enough dogs in this fight and we need more dogs in this fight. There's a big push for labeling in this country right now. More people need to get involved and start asking the questions and start not just harassing your grocery stores, your local food uh, restaurants, CSAs, whatever it is. You need to get more active, more involved. You need to contact your local politicians. We all are in this together. And if we continue to ignore this problem, it's only going to get worse. And and as you point out, Eric, it's not just a question of those of us who have eaten organic food most of our life by choice or who grow organic food in our own personal gardens as we do at home here. You're talking about something even bigger than that, which is the destruction of the seed supply, the indigenous seed supply of planet Earth. And you're you're not alone. I mean, there are people all over the world in India and Africa who are complaining about the Monsanto push as well through the international aid program. So talk to us a little bit about the indigenous seed supply and why this is the foundation of everything on Earth and it's being threatened. And that's not an exaggeration. Well, you just look at the major four or five major commodity crops in this country, which is corn, soy, canola, uh, cotton. Uh, those crops are 90% genetically modified. And Hawaiian papaya, I believe, is now close to 70%. There's other crops that have been genetically modified. They're going after wheat. Uh, there's experimental plots in rice. There's a big lawsuit won by organic rice farmers in Arkansas this year uh, or this past year. Uh, over $750 million because of contamination by genetically modified rice plots. They're, they're doing uh, experiments in grass. They're going after any and everything they possibly can because they've figured out a way to not only make billions of dollars, but they figured out a way to control the food supply in this country. Well, in the world. That, that is the huge, sinister, underlying problem in this. They control the food supply now. Farmers no longer own their own seed anymore, and that's what people need to understand. You need to look at the what you're buying, 
who you're supporting because we vote with our dollars every single day in this country. Well, and as you point out, I mean, unless there's labeling, a consumer has a hard time to know that the corn chips they just ate came from genetically modified corn, which could interrupt their birth cycles as well as their own intestines. I mean, you know, unless it's labeled, you don't know that the the bread that you've become allergic to is not an organic wheat, that it's actually genetically modified food. I mean, so that these things are really nefarious. And it, as you point out, it gets into the entire ecosystem. Yeah, you talk about um, bees, for instance. There's been a huge uh, deal about the colony yes. collapse disorder with honeybees in this country, but every single member of the wildlife kingdom is impacted by this. It's And not, not just speaking about ourselves, which is enough problem as it is, but this is an every single living creature issue. The other thing that goes with it is the soil degradation, which we've talked about all the years of our program because we have wonderful friends and educators like Charlie Walters and Chris Bird and others who made this so clear back in the 80s to us. But you you have provided some extraordinary statistics in your book, Son of a Farmer, Eric, and one of them is the statistics on soil degradation and deforestation and overgrazing so that it's not just the problem of this destruction of the seed itself, which is frightening. I have to admit it frightens me. And But it's also the destruction of the soil that we count on to grow things in. It's spreading. It's, it's spreading more and more. I see it firsthand right here where we live in West Texas. Every year it intensifies. You see more sandstorms than ever. You see fields that are, are blowing more than ever because of monocropping, because there's less tillage of the soil. We're, People want to brag about the fact that we're conserving fuel, but they don't want to talk about the fact that we are losing soil in the process. We are sacrificing so many different aspects of life just to save a little bit of fuel, a little bit of labor in the process, and it's an easier way to farm. It's not going to save anybody any money in the long term. It's going to cost us far more, when you, especially when you look at the impact it's having in rural economies, We've lost greeneries. We've lost the lending plants uh, because all of our money is going to these billion-dollar companies like Monsanto. We're not keeping any of it here locally anymore. We need to be strengthening our local economies, and that begins with with agriculture, and it begins with the food that we're growing. The average food travels 1,500 miles before it gets to your dinner plate. That has to change. We need more farmers. We need more... Uh, small farms in this country that are growing food in their local communities. You also point out that there's product like hemp. I mean, we've talked, we've done numbers of shows on hemp and what an important product it is. And why, from your vantage point, is hemp so important? Oh, man, we could do a whole show on just hemp. I mean, hemp is such a cool, diverse plant that has so many benefits, not only economically but environmentally, um, you know, and, it, and it's a shame that it basically got attacked back in the 1930s and, you know, whenever they went after marijuana. And you have the families like the DuPonts who benefited from that because, um, you know, the year after marijuana and hemp got the Excessive Taxation Act in 1937, um, oh, but lo and behold, nylon came out. They had their patent on nylon. 
Well, you look at what hemp was doing for a lot of rural economies. It's it's making not only ropes and clothes and all these other cool things, but also provides fuel. It can be all these different aspects and providing jobs because you're able to manufacture these things here locally. Uh, and it was just basically a witch hunt after after hemp. It's people think you can. A lot of people there's so much propaganda on hemp that people still think you can get stoned on hemp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. how much misinformation there is out there. Well, and I was so glad that you mentioned somebody I used to interview, Ron Paul, who was at one point a libertarian before he became an independent from Texas. He proposed the Industrial Hemp Farming Act of 2005 to get it back into agriculture. And of course, it would take a good libertarian to stand up and do that. From from your vantage point, though, when you talk to other farmers, because as you point out, there you are surrounded by other farmers who are using Roundup Ready seed, Triticale, and other things that destroy a natural um, system such as the one you all have. What do you say to these farmers, and, and, and what are you encountering? Because I love the fact that you said, look, it's it's not just Monsanto. If farmers didn't buy this garbage, it wouldn't be produced. So we would hope, though they shove it down the throats of the poorer nations and then threaten them with no aid money if they don't take it. Well, I, I, unfortunately, most farmers are not environmentalists or naturalists, and you have to come at them at an econom- from an economic standpoint, and that's what I try to make farmers realize what they're going to be losing in the long term. They try to comfort themselves saying, well, I'm saving money in fuel, I'm saving money in labor, wear and tear on my tractors, but they're not looking at at this over a five or ten year plan. They're looking at it as a one year plan, and the seed prices have gone up initially. I mean, it's $350 for a 50-pound bag now. When it came into our county five, six years ago, it was $60 or $70 a bag. Now you can't make – I don't see how guys are making sense of this, but they've changed their entire infrastructure to, to revolve around this. They, they plant, and they go out there and spray, and that's it. It is a much easier way to farm. I will tell you that. It is far more easier to farm this way with Roundup Ready Seeds. But <laughs> when you look at the long-term negative effects that it's going to have on your soil degradation, on your soil quality – it's going to lower your yields long-term, and the fact that you're not going to be able to kill your weeds. There are more than 15 million acres in this country right now that have grown resistant to Roundup herbicide. 15 million acres of what they call super weeds in this country now. They've and, grown resistant and, and to And so to those of us that aren't farmers, that would then mean that there's certain worms and other insects that destroy crops that have also grown impervious to this. Yes, insects are also growing resistant to this, you take Bogard 1, which is the initial um, herbicide, I mean, pesticide-resistant strand they came out with, and the the bollworm has grown resistant to that. They don't even sell Bogard 1 anymore. Um, insects and weeds are survivors. They will overcome this. They will continue to change their genetic makeup and overcome these things. And what you see a company like Monsanto doing now is they're preparing to bring out something like uh, 2,4-D-resistant uh, plants. And if that gets on the market, you're looking at something that's not going to only just hurt the other cotton uh, plants or other plants around it. It's going to kill it. It kills all broadleaf plants. 
Whereas when I get hit by herbicide drift from Roundup, it just it sickens it, it weakens it. But 2,4-D is going to kill it. It's going to kill your trees. It's going to kill every single thing you got growing with a broadleaf on it. And that is going to be catastrophic to this country. As you go through your daily work, describe for us what a day is like for you. Man, it just depends on the day. Um, <laughs> and the season, you know, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Farming is like no other occupation. You know, you're you're pretty much ruled by Mother Nature. And I, I joke all the time that, you know, sometimes you you say a prayer, sometimes you take a shot of tequila, and in some years you, you go through a lot more tequila than you do prayers. Mm-hmm. But um, Well, you, you, you year, um, spoke about, and you have a beautiful poetry style, by the way. I love in your new book that you have poems interspersed throughout it, and you're one of, of the one-year drought in Texas. Yeah. is is quite beautiful. But but you said that there has been extended drought. I mean, we see this kind of weather changing all over the world with more drought, more floods, all the extremes are more extreme. So the drought itself in Texas has had a tremendous effect. Does Monsanto claim that somehow or other this magical poison seed can withstand drought as well? Oh, yeah. It'll make you better looking, more popular. So <laughs> push it and pimp it any way that they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went through the worst drought in Texas history last year. Um, we've been very fortunate in our area to get some, some very timely and critical rains. Uh, a lot of parts of the state have not had that this year. We we got a rain last week that saved our butts. If we didn't get that last week, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have a crop, probably. Um, so we're hanging in there right now this year, but it's very spotty and some places are still suffering through this massive drought in the Midwest. I know it's still particularly bad. But, yeah, they, they, they market this any way they can possibly get you, that it's more drought tolerant. And I will compare our yields against our neighbors any day of the week. Well, the, the thing that has been of interest to me, because I'm in holistic medicine and have been since I founded the oldest holistic healing center in the country back in 1985 is this increase in food allergies in people, in adults and children. And from my estimation, it's because of the GMO seed and the other sort of things that they use on the crops that it wheat itself is not the wheat that the ancients had. We no longer have most of that. I I definitely agree with you on that. I don't think that uh, people are actually allergic to the, the crops or the plants themselves. I think we are allergic to the pesticides, the herbicides, and the genetically modified uh, plants that we are now planting uh, in the ground these days. We are we have created a toxic environment. Um, our bodies are telling us that. Nature is telling us that. We just have to have the wherewithal and the uh, consciousness to accept that and change it. Which, as you point out and I point out, and anybody who just stops to think about it, Everybody does make a difference by what they buy and what they do and what they promote and how they use their voice. And I encourage my audience through this is a phenomenal book, Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, A Path to Agriculture's Higher Consciousness. If you don't know much about what's going on in agriculture and you really want to learn, 
This is a wonderful primer on it with fantastic statistics. You know, when you look at the Monsanto as an example, 2007 global seed sales and DuPont and all the others, they've all gone up from millions to billions. And in just a couple of years, they've increased the, you point out this one thing, just soy crop, GM crops in 2007 went up to 89% of all soy in this country is GM, genetically modified. So even for a health-conscious person who wants to use soy because it's a healthful product when used in moderation, how do you even get organic soy? Excellent point. And you can bump that up to 94% as of 2011 with soy. That's unbelievable. Um, This is not just a carnivore problem. You know, if you're vegan or vegetarian, you're not immune to this issue. And we especially look at the fact that they've released genetically modified salmon into the wild already. Um, and there's genetically modified forests that they have in plots throughout the South. This, these companies are seeing the big-time cash that they can make from this. I mean, we were talking multi-billions of dollars. Um, they're not going to stop as long as the public continues to support it. They're not going to stop as long as farmers continue to plant the seed. So how do we change that? The consumer, the average person out there, the 99% across this country – you dictate all the markets in this country. We dictate it hands down. Don't for one second think that you are powerless in this because what you do, what you consume, what you go out and buy every single day or every week, that impacts these companies no matter how many billions of dollars they have. When you start to vote with your voice, when you start to vote with your dollars at the supermarket and everywhere else, you're going to get their attention. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Our guest, Eric Herm, he has two books. You can learn more at www.sonofafarmer.com. That's one book, a Dream River 2010 release, and the other, Surviving Ourselves, The Evolution of Community, Education, and Agriculture in the 21st Century by our guest, Eric Herm. Eric, in in your book, Surviving Ourselves, you have a beautiful summary about 12 ways to improve our relationship with the earth and each other. It was on page 41, and I liked it because it's very um, sensible, and it's very simple. Yeah, I mean, to me, we we do a really good job of complicating life, and um, sometimes I just, we really forget how how simple it is supposed to be, and we forget the, the small things in life, just, you know, just being able to watch the sunrise or the or sunset and being able to just go outside and, and listen to nature and get away from the noise and the, the grind of life and just be able to slow down and, and take our time. Um, you know, and that's why I wrote that book is to really focus on our relationship with nature and how that impacts us on, on every single aspect of our lives. Absolutely. And that's that's why I liked your title so much, Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, because we all are. And in your other book, Son of a Farmer, you had this wonderful list of 10 things that we must do as farmers. Boycott Monsanto and GMO crops. That was one. Save our seed. Let's talk about saving seed. I'm going to be doing some programs, as I have throughout the decades, on seed saving to encourage local gardeners like us to save seed. Why is this important? Well, because we're, we've lost a lot of our diversity in the seed supply. Um, you know, I talked about corn, cotton, canola, and soybeans being 90% genetically modified. 
and Hawaiian papaya, and there's other crops like peppers and, and tomatoes, and we don't even really know what percentage of those have been genetically modified. And if you're continually relying on companies like Monsanto or other large garden uh, seed companies, which Monsanto is buying up, uh, you're going to find yourself in a problem. And we need to maintain uh, heirloom varieties. We need to maintain diversity of many different types of, of foods. And we're, we're losing that. We're becoming more and more specialized, and we need to maintain the integrity of our seed supply. You list wonderful websites throughout all of all of your chapters. So I ask other guests who are activists in their own fields, regardless of what field it is, and you as a farmer are certainly an activists in sane agriculture. What advice do you have to others in the listening audience who are thinking about how they can make a difference and what happens when you become educated, wake up, and then what do you do? Don't be scared to stand up. Don't be scared to, to speak your mind. I think often we're, we're convinced that we're in the minority, so we, we're more silent. We're, we're more hesitant to, to speak our our, our voice, be that leader in your community, in your neighborhood, or even your own household. Um, don't be hesitant to stand up and be someone who's going to take this bull by the horns and make a difference in your own neck of the woods. Because, you know, just just like where I come from, I'm I'm definitely in the minority here, but I am completely determined each and every single day I wake up that I'm going to reach more people. Um, I don't. I don't write these books to to make money. I, you know, I go out and travel. I spend more out of my own pocket than I'll probably ever make off of book sales. Uh, you know, as a as a sure. male, as someone, I, I look at myself as a protector of life. You know, we shouldn't just sit back and take for granted so many different aspects of life that people are in place preserving our freedoms or our integrities or our morals or whatever it is that we hold dear to our to ourselves we need to make sure that we're we're keeping those in check for ourselves for our families for our communities and our neighborhoods and the only way to do that is to stay vigilant to stay active to keep out and be a leader uh, and help spread the word to others to make sure that they know and and doing it doing it with a loving fashion um we're going to get there. If we're just doing it to be bitter and you get angry because people aren't seeing it your way, it's not going to work. You have to come from it uh, from a loving place. That's that's my... I, my, I would uh, agree with you. You know, I would talk to John Robbins on his book, No Happy Cows, his recent book, and we were talking about that kind of maturation that happens to all of us who have been activists. I like to say I've been angry for the good, but ultimately it really is about finding that place of heart and awareness in another person and opening them up to a part of themselves that perhaps they've shut down, which is the next generation. Do they love their grandchildren? Do they hope to see them healthy and whole? Do they want to see the earth continue? Do they want to see the joy that you and I have known in some of our life? You know, one of, one of the things you talk about, though, is also water, because only 3% of the whole earth's water is drinkable. The rest is ocean water. But you point out that as an example of what's happening 
with all of these earth changes and drought and decimation is that the yellow and and I didn't know this by the way I must be slow on this one because generally I know all of this stuff and I went whoa really the yellow and Colorado rivers no longer flow to the ocean yeah I didn't know that a lot of times of the year they don't even make it out there um, through a lot of man-made interference and a lot of the severe droughts we've had over the last 20 years. So one of the things uh, you suggest to people is, you know, to do some sort of rain farming, to do permaculture, to use the rain that comes down the gutters for value on your property or where you live. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Rainwater harvesting, I think, is one of our largest saving graces, particularly for those of us in the Southwest where we live in a drier climate. Where I live, we get 17 inches of rain uh, as our average rainfall. Last year, we had less than four. So uh, every single drop counts, and you don't realize how much rain you can collect. It doesn't take a whole lot over 1,000 square feet. Off of one inch of rain, you got 620 gallons. Uh, so it adds up pretty quick over time. And locally, like Big Spring, which is the, the closest big city to me, I figured out we had enough square footage and and just residential spaces alone to harness enough rainwater to, to compensate for over 75% of the, the water needed in that city. They're down to only allowing citizens to water their grass and their their trees once a week now. we got huge issues in West Texas right now. There's individual wells that are pumping dry right now, people having to haul water. Towns that had to haul water last year during the drought. Well, and also one of the problems you all have, I don't know if your town has, but I've been looking into it for my city and my state of Maryland, which is the water bottling companies come in and and just drain down aquifers, pay a minimal tax like any company would, but in fact they're taking away the resource of the entire community. I actually asked a question at a public meeting recently where there's some officials from my county, and I asked them, who's controlling the water supply? And they looked at me like, well, we never really thought about that. I said, how many water bottling companies are here, of which we have several? Yeah, you look at uh, Coca-Cola, Nestle, and Pepsi, some of these that have jumped into the commercial water bottling business, which is a multi-billion dollar business itself, they are. They're coming into places, rural places, and sucking it dry and moving on to the next one. Yeah, so that's something I'd like to see stopped because, A, we don't need bottled water. It just prevents the world from making other water potable. And, B, it's destroying the aquifers, not to mention all the plastic and the plastic residue that goes into our bodies. We have... (laughs) <laughs> we have a lot of issues facing us, don't we? Yeah, it's like the <laughs> like, Good Times Cafe on, right here. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people like myself who have been at this since I was 14, there are some years where I feel less able to be at it and other years where I feel really capable to stay engaged. So how do you keep yourself in balance in all of this? Uh, you just you, you take it one day at a time, and it's it's very cliche, but... You, you realize that this is a battle you're in for the long haul. It's not something that's going to be solved overnight. And like I said before, we need more dogs in the fight. So this is about recruiting more people in this fight so that we can go into this and have a chance of winning it because at a current rate, we're not going to. And um, it's just something you, you have to stay positive about. You have to stay focused and you have to stay realistic. 
and uh, it's it's just something that's going to take a while, unfortunately, because we have so much apathy in this country. And ignorance. And, I, you know, I have to say, I think if you ask the majority of Americans, they may never have even heard of genetically modified organisms. They don't even realize that that is so deeply now ingrained in the food supply worldwide and in this country so dominantly. And unless they read a book like yours, because you're not going to hear it on the nightly news and you're not going to see it in the local newspaper. So A Son of a Farmer, Child of the Earth, a great book for you folks to read if you've not yet done so. And the other book, Surviving Ourselves, The Evolution of Community Education and Agriculture in the 21st Century. I think you've just done a great job, Eric, and you're really in that beautiful tradition that Acres USA always spoke of, which is the gentleman farmer. And it's um, beautiful that you have, you know, made this great effort to restore the consciousness of what farming is, which is loving the earth. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's I think that that's a lot of what we've forgotten. We've forgotten how to love the land. We've forgotten how to love the earth. And um, until we get back to that, I don't. Uh, we don't stand a chance. So everyone needs to get uh, more focused in that area in their lives and. And while you're a big farmer, I'm a little gardener, and what I always encourage people to do is grow some tomatoes, grow some lettuce, grow some cucumbers, grow some melons, grow some things in your own backyard, and you'll come to this unbelievable, I'm like a child. When March comes, I am so excited, and then when I get to plant and I go out there and I just wait for the seeds to sprout, you know that part where you have a little lack of faith? Will it ever come up? And then all of a sudden, this bounty that the sun and the earth and the rain has provided. So without those seeds, we have nothing. And then without the rain and the soil that's good, we don't have good food, good souls, and good bodies. Well, I want to thank you, Eric, and please stay in touch. And if we can continue to catalog your journey, I'd love to be part of it. Yeah. Your listeners can follow me at sonofafarmer.com or sonofafarmer99 on Twitter and Facebook. I'm always looking forward to... Making new friends. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Go be a good farmer. Love the earth and take care of it.